If you've been thinking about becoming a member, now is the time. For the rest of the month, receive $10 off an annual membership. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, members-only bonus content, an invitation to join the DSR Network Slack community, a members-only newsletter, and members-only blog posts. To take advantage of this offer, visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy, select the annual option, and enter code December 2022 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy, and enter code December 2022 at checkout. Happy Holidays! This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another one of those special end-of-year podcasts you're getting used to hearing from everybody. This, of course, is Deep State Radio. I'm David Rothbuff, your host, and I'm coming to you from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We are joined today by a special group of brilliant people, starting, of course, with Dr. Corey Shockey of the American Enterprise Institute. How are you doing, Corey? I am exceedingly well, David. I have hopscotched across the country and I am safely ensconced west of the 100th meridian. Very smart, given the weather reports I've been reading, because I think everything due east of where you are across the country is going to have a really rough week. Well, um, it's just also, strategic depth for California anyway, David. Well, that's, you know, very smart. Very, very smart. Somebody who I know agrees with you on that point is um, our friend, Steve Walt, professor at Harvard's Kennedy School. How are you doing, Steve? I'm quite well. My grades have been turned in for the fall semester, so life is good. Woohoo! Well, congratulations on that front. Another one of the Kennedy School's ace professors, who's also journalist and uh, a book writer and uh, all-around great guy is David Sanger. Where are you, David? I am uh, outside of New York City, but like Steve, I was facing the same deadline for getting grades in, and um, we just got them in minutes before we started recording here. So (laughs) I guess it's that Steve beat me to it, but uh, there we are. Does anybody ever get a C anymore? Or is that, a, like I said, C a thing of the past? I, do, do I people... don't think you're asking the right question, David. I think the question you want to ask is, does anyone get a B minus? Wow. <laughs> and, the answer, and the answer in my classes is occasionally yes. Yeah, I had a couple of those, but a B minus in the modern education world is considered a failing grade these days, you know, and... So all I can say is I wish I had gone to school as a student under the current rules because I would have done a hell of a lot better. And I just, you know, I just know looking at Corey that this is another reason that she's happy she's not doing this anymore. Well, one of the real joys of teaching at West Point 
was that it is permissible to actually fail students, not just give them C's. And so, yeah, I am glad that I don't have to give mediocre work above mediocre grades. And I am glad that I didn't have to take Corey's course at West Point. (laughs) I would have been in that small category of failed students. <laughs> and I'm and I'm glad that very few of my students do mediocre work. So <laughs> maybe. Maybe Steve. Think about this. You know, Corey's students to whom she was giving tough grades are all people who've decided to devote their lives to using major weapons. And she does it anyway. Um, very, very courageous. So what we want to do here is we do every year, as we've done every year for many years on this podcast and its predecessor, is to look back. But I don't want to just look back for the past year. I want to look back for the past two years. The Biden administration is halfway through its first term, and it's time that we give it some grades. And now that we have understood that for Steve and for David, a B- minus will be failing, uh, we can better understand what kind of grades <laughs> they'll be giving the Biden administration. Well, playing, <laughs> well, you can you can adopt whatever rules you want, but I'm going to start with Corey, and I want to start with you know your overall take on the Biden administration foreign policy, and then after we're done with the overall tech, I'm going to ask you for the thing they've done that gets the lowest grade and the thing they've done that gets the highest grade. But let's start with the overall. Well, I give them a Harvard B minus, David. Wow. Um, Wow. But that's pretty brutal. Because they have a national security strategy that took them nearly two years to promulgate, although the guidance that drove it and from which it would have been impermissible to deviate was put out two months into the administration. Moreover, that national security strategy lacks an international economic aspect, which is what everybody is looking for from it. Among the countries, the United States wants and needs to have take our side for on the most important, the pacing threat as the administration strategy puts it. When you say the pacing threat, you mean China, right? Yeah. So they were a year and nine months too late to deliver what everybody knew was coming. And it's got a big gaping hole in the middle of it that will prevent its successful execution. Moreover, that same strategy is enormously ambitious in its military components, and they are not buying a military that can carry out those military components. So not only is the economic piece of it unexecutable, they are making claims about our military prowess that they are not backing up with the support that it would need in order to create those abilities. Second, and this goes to the worst thing they have done, David, which is the abandonment in the way they did it of Afghanistan and the dishonesty with which they are saying It was always going to be messy, no matter how, even if we had done this well, this is what it would look like. And the dishonor they are heaping on Afghans by saying that it's their fault. The best thing they have done, 
is how they have organized international support for Ukraine. I don't even give them a straight, solid West Point A on that count because of the pace at which they are freeing up support to Ukraine and the way the president keeps wringing his hands in public and worrying about World War III because I think that encourages proliferation, it encourages Russian nuclear blackmail, and it misstates our relative strength in the support for Ukraine. I'll stop there, David. You know, you see how I'm doing this. This is really very strategic, because I know that Steve Walt thought he was going to be the toughest one here. And by starting with Corey, I'm going to make Steve look softer than he really is. And by starting with Corey and Steve, Sanger's going to have to defend these guys. But go on, <laughs> Steve. So, first of all, I'm going to disagree mostly with Corey, but I'll be critical on some, some other grounds. I mean, I think the parlor game of uh, dissecting national security strategies doesn't actually take us very far. We all do it. It's part of our jobs. But I don't care very much when they promulgate the thing. I'm more interested in what they're actually doing uh, in the real world. I uh, am actually one of those who felt that the withdrawal from Afghanistan was long overdue and was always going to be messy. And no one has yet uh, laid out a strategy for how you get out of Afghanistan, given that its government uh, was a house of cards without the place being a horrible mess. That's something that's tragic. But I think it was going to happen whenever it did. And I don't give them a high grade for that. You know, I'll give them a B minus for it. But I think any president, uh, any administration would have ended up with the same grade. And I would have given them a failing grade if they'd done what all their predecessors done, had done and just kicked the can down the road a little bit further. I think the best thing they've done, of course, is organizing the coalition against the Russian invasion uh, of Afghanistan. And you can tell a story there where, in fact, uh, that they're slow off the mark to get that organized. The Europeans dither and you don't get the kind of vigorous response. So I give them full points for organizing that coalition and sustaining it. Unlike Corey, I think worrying about World War III is actually a good thing for a president to do. And uh, adopting policies that make World War III more likely is not something uh, that we're paying the president to do. Where I fault them is uh, that they don't have, I think, an overall strategy that they have sort of put together uh, well, and here I agree with Corey, that the absence of a, a decent economic strategy for Asia is uh, worrisome. But I think what also bothers me is that without kind of saying so explicitly, they've got the United States in two significant wars simultaneously. We are trying to inflict a decisive military defeat against Russia for all the obvious reasons, and we're at the same time trying to inflict a decisive economic defeat on China through the chip war and other measures. And it's usually considered a bad idea to go to war with two major powers simultaneously. And it's not clear to me that the Biden administration itself has thought through the implications of tackling both these things at once. And I worry that in the years to come, that uh, combination is going to come back to bite us. Mr. Sanger, known to your friends as a chip warrior yourself. What yeah, do you think? right. Absolutely. And known as, you know, even a harsher greater than Walt. Um, so, so here's my take on it. And I'm probably a little closer to Steve on this one than I am with Corey, although I recognize that 
my default position is always agree with Corey. And it's that in in the year one, to pick the title of our documentary about the Biden administration's first year in national security. Yeah, this um, is a I, drinking game here. Every time David promotes one, every time something we, every that he's time done, it, yeah. you take a drink. Go, go on. That's it. And if, if Deep State Radio would provide said drink, I think all three <laughs> of us would be a lot more agreeable. <laughs> okay. In year one, I would say that their a strategy was better than their execution. And in year two, their execution was better than their strategy. Just to explain, Biden was right to say we had to get out of Afghanistan. If we were still there today, the Taliban would still be you know, inside and we would basically be taking, I think, probably bigger casualties and in a battle about whether or not we actually were going to be able to drive the Taliban out. Biden took two bets. A first one that he could get out safely. He lost that. And a second one that come a year after we got out of Afghanistan, while Afghans would remember, Americans would not. And in fact, you've heard very little discussion in 2022, partly because it's been pushed out by the Ukraine war, by January 6th investigations, by the economy. They executed this poorly, as I think we all agree, but I think they had the right instinct to get out. And I agree with Corey that it's nonsense to say there was no non-messy way out. It may have been messy, but certainly they could have made advanced plans to get the Afghans who had helped the American military, that helped journalistic organizations, helped NGOs and others, and gotten them going and airlifted long before they did the emergency scramble. In the second year, The Ukraine stuff has been pretty brilliantly executed, even before the invasion. The decision to release the intelligence ahead of time, and the fact that that intelligence was right, I think not only increased American credibility among the allies, but it began to bury the thought that the intelligence agencies, having messed up in Iraq, had not learned anything. They had learned a lot. What did we miss? We missed that the Russians were going to be completely incompetent in the way they executed the invasion. And if you haven't read yet the Times' special supplement over the weekend from inside the Russian military as they screwed this up, it's worth reading because the extent of Russian incompetence was pretty wild. I, I I'm going to make a judgment there and say you may drink again as a promotion for the okay. Times. I did not participate in or write that story. So I only got a tip for that. Very generous of you. The second uh, thing I would say on uh, Afghanistan, uh, on on Ukraine, is that they've done a very good job of escalating the military aid in a boil the frog kind of way that has not provoked the Russians to retaliate in a big way yet. I think. Avoiding World War III is not a bad objective to lay out. Corey's concern, I suspect, isn't about avoiding World War III. It's about talking about avoiding World War III and thus eliminating a good deal of your deterrent effect. So I think they've done that pretty well. On China, I'm in agreement with you guys that the strategy as currently described while vastly better than what the Trump administration was doing, and while actually tough in the cutoff of technology, 
does not match up with the imminence of the threat to Taiwan. And on this point, Corey is exactly right. Well, those are very interesting opinions. I disagree with all three of you, but I'm not going to dwell on that heavily because as the moderator, I feel it would be inappropriate to do so. But I'm going to dwell on it for just a moment or two. I do think the Afghan assessment I'm probably closest to is that of Steve. You know, Joe Biden uh, was in favor of getting out of Afghanistan in 2009, was overruled by Barack Obama. Joe Biden was backed into a corner by, to some degree by the Trump policy. I should add that uh, the State Department began telling people to leave Afghanistan and did so over a dozen times, but their first missives out were in the late spring, and that they did not do this publicly at the request of the Afghan government. I believe that their catering to the Afghan government was a mistake, and I believe that, of course, as we've learned subsequently, the Afghan government was even more profoundly corrupt and inept than we thought that they were, but that getting out was the right thing to do, and that in retrospect, even handled as uh, messily as it was, uh, U.S. interests are better served from being out than being in. I agree that the handling of Ukraine has been largely right, although the Russian threat was overestimated. I believe you could offer critique that we have not offered enough aid to Ukraine of the type they needed sooner. I think we could have done better on that regard. On the international economic policy, I do think one of the most overlooked aspects of U.S. foreign policy in the past year was the swift move by Treasury to lead an effort to establish a global minimum tax. Secretary Yellen deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, The policy with regard to economics in Asia, this kind of quasi-trade deal, I think is not as much as the administration has made it out to be. But on China, I think that the, the, the critique I have, and in this case I may run against all three of you, is that we have moved too fast and leaned too hard into the notion of a Cold War with China. I don't think China poses the kind of threat that is being characterized as a kind of a global military threat. I believe it it poses a threat regionally uh, on some issues militarily, but more as a rival economically, internationally, and as a rival for influence, but one that happens to be a country in which we have 70,000 U.S. companies. And as regards to Taiwan, the Chinese recognize that a war with Taiwan that destroyed the Chinese, the Taiwanese chip industry would be as devastating to them and the global economy as it was to everybody else. I think that there is a risk there, but I don't think that risk is for a number of years. But again, you've got a lot of experts to choose from here, and I'm only offering one point of view. We've touched on a number of things here, Corey. We have not touched on climate policy. We have not touched on Mideast policy. We have not touched on the expansion of NATO. We have not touched on the domestic threats that may threaten our national security. Is there anything else you want to pick up on here uh, as cleanup or, or just correcting the three of us? No, other than to say uh, I want to reinforce your point about global minimum tax. If we can actually bring that into being, 
so that companies can venue shop for legal ways that they can have the protection of Western societies and all of the infrastructure, but not pay for them. I think that would actually be a great thing for strengthening the liberal world. Here, here. Corey, you're exactly right. Steve. <laughs> yeah, a couple a couple of things. I would make the general point that, you know, foreign policy is a little bit like high school football. Uh, the team that makes the fewest mistakes tends to win. Uh, neither team's usually all that competent. And this has been a year or two where I think the Biden administration has benefited from the fact that some of our rivals have been making more mistakes than we have. Most obvious one is Putin. Uh, which whatever the ultimate outcome of the Ukraine conflict is, I think is going to end up being seen as a geostrategic disaster for Russia, uh, you know, even long after uh, Putin is gone. Uh, and similarly, Xi Jinping, you know, has gone through a year where he gets coronated uh, as sort of president for life and then immediately has to deal with unprecedented uh, social demonstrations at home and the complete failure of the zero COVID policy, uh, not to mention a Japan that announces uh, an unprecedented increase in its own defense spending. So in the sense of, you know, no administration gets it right. We've been fortunate this year that, as I think Gideon Rockman said in the Financial Times in the last day or two, uh, you know, it's been a bad year for autocrats. And if, David, if you want to weigh in here on uh, the former autocrat in the White House, you're welcome uh, to do so as well. I think all of that is something we should bear in mind that, you know, the Biden people have not made catastrophic mistakes. And sometimes that's the best you can hope for. It's like what we used to tell our kids, how fast do you need to run to outrun a bear? And the answer is faster than your brother. Uh, so, uh, My God, what a Darwinian parenting strategy, David. Yeah, well, you particularly know? since they live in a place where there's bears. You know, it's that's like right. for the rest of us, that's not a big deal. He used to have seven kids. Yeah. We, we, we call this motivational strategy, Corey. You know? yeah. <laughs> right. So that's what's helped Biden, as Steve has pointed out, which is that while they haven't been perfect, they have benefited from imperfections elsewhere. And I would include not only the autocrats there, but the Europeans who, remember, became more and more dependent on Russia even after the invasion of Crimea, signed up for Nord Stream 2 in 2015, the year after the invasion of Crimea. And so part of the trick here was getting the Europeans to turn around. And he has done that. But the fact of the matter is, our economy looks in better shape to handle the energy shocks and economic shocks that are coming than the Europeans do, than the Chinese do, and then certainly the Russians do. It also has not been a great year for the fence-sitting countries like India, which can't quite seem to make up their mind whether they care more about their self-interests or more about what Russia has done in Ukraine. I'd add Israel to this list, another country that has come up with all kinds of reasons not to be in great support of the Ukrainians because of what the way they need Russia in go, uh, go on, Syria. Go on, add Saudi Arabia. I would, <laughs> I, would, I would certainly add Saudi Arabia to the list. So Biden looks like he's managed, you know, very tricky waters 
a whole lot better than almost all of his allies and adversaries. David, can I underscore something David just said? I mean, it is quite striking that the United States has these two major contests going on, one with Russia and one with China, and our principal allies in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia and Israel, are kind of absent without leave on both of them. They're not helping us with Russia or China. The Saudis in particular inviting Xi Jinping for a summit meeting and organizing various cooperative agreements there. This is really quite striking when you consider how close those relations have been in the past. Well, I would go further and say that, while you guys are right, that it's been a bad year for autocrats, or Gideon Rockman is right, that it's been a bad year for autocrats. In Saudi Arabia and Israel, maybe the reverse. You know, they're both, the direction the new Israeli government is taking is deeply worrisome. This is the point where we take a little bit of a break and we say to the folks out there who are listening in the general public, thanks a lot. We really love it that you come. But we can't let you listen to the whole episode. Otherwise, no one would pay to be a member. Uh, Look, I mean, that's just the reality. You know, we keep some of it for our members so that they uh, find it's worth to pay five bucks a month. And that way we can, you know, afford to pay for, I don't know, microphones and headsets and uh, fancy, lavish vacations in the Caribbean. We've, we've yet to get around so to that one. forward to going to Saint-Tropez in February, David. Thank you for making it possible. Yeah, that deep state, that deep state cop den team, uh, uh I'm, I'm uh, just going to buy some crypto. Yeah, good, 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 good idea. But, Isn't uh, this the so, time, David, to tell everybody about our broadcast from the deep state cruise where Walt <laughs> has agreed to be the bartender? No, he's actually a lounge singer, but that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But so for those of you in the general public, thanks a lot and come back for the next episode. And then at some point, become a member. And for those of you who are members, hang around. We'll be right back.